Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Okay, welcome everybody. Here we are. Another share with Sharp Tuchin. Um, I'm super excited for today. I am, um, yeah, today's class I think is going to be also very powerful. So, we are still within the introduction. The introduction is very long, but don't worry. Chapter one is literally one page. <laughs> we'll feel really accomplished by the time we get there. Um, also, I want to give a heads up that closer to Tishrei, I know you guys are probably not thinking about Tishrei, but as a program planning thing. Um, so over Tishrei, we're going to take a break and then we'll continue um, after Chazun. So just the heads up about that. Um, Okay, so we left off within the introduction. We were saying all the benefits. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to explain. Today's shear is in Schos Lele Nishmas, Rivka Bas Avram. She have an incredible Elias and Neshama and her family should be comforted and die. And may we be reunited with all of our loved ones with the Shiach right now. Okay. So, um, so we're saying all the benefits. We're going through like, as a typical introduction, what are the benefits of the book we're about to read? And we're going to discuss them. So we went through a bunch of different things. You're gonna be a lot more calm and you're gonna have peace of mind. You'll be able to be independent. Um, you're not gonna be by mistake trusting something else that really isn't, doesn't have the power to help you, doesn't have the, the ability to help you in any way. Um, you'll be a lot more free from worry. There's just, we went through a lot of different concepts and um, our author gave a ton of different sukkim and we also discussed stories. So we left off in this section about the alchemist. As we said last time, the, an alchemist really essentially, nowadays, what would be an alchemist? It's a um, money launderer, right? That's how you say it. Like they make counterfeit money. So they thought that they could mix a bunch of different, you know, whatever lead or whatever. And at the end, if they cook it well enough, it'll come out gold. And then they could sell it. They'll have gold for forever. Imagine you could have a factory where you could print money. So they have this incredible ability. And it was like the coolest thing on earth. They felt like they were so great. They were at the top of the world. They were the richest men at the time. So they thought because they could literally just print out money wherever they wanted. Then we went on to discuss that as much as they think they're the coolest things and they think they're the most, you know, uh, well prepared for life because they can print out money anytime. We went to say that someone who has bitachon Nashem is actually much better off than them. And here are 10 ways to prove that someone who has betachon Hashem is even better, better off than an alchemist. So our first, our first was, one second, I lost my place. Ah, okay. Our first was the fact that the alchemist needs specific materials. So 
now, in order for a person to make counterfeit money, they need special printers, they need special ink, they need special type of paper, and it's hard. And they have to somehow figure out where to hide all this stuff and how to get that supply to have that. So, so too with an alchemist. He had to have, and also for them, it was a process where they would heat up all these metals and they had to be a specific temperature. And back then, they didn't have the, the thermometers that we have now. So it had to maintain a specific temperature in the fire and it changed all these colors. And it, essentially it was very hard to hide such a concept. It was very hard to hide. Um, yay. It was very hard to hide your work as an alchemist. So not only do you have to have specific materials which may not be accessible at all times, like just because you have the printer that prints dollar bills or hundred dollar bills doesn't mean that you'll have the ink. Then how are you going to get the ink without getting caught, right? You see how, how this could get kind of tricky? So part, the reason number one is because somebody that has betach and Hashem doesn't run out of supplies. Like you can just continue having betach and Hashem. And even if you're running low, as we said a few classes ago, like sometimes this is like a muscle. You have to like keep working it out. You can just work it out. You can just keep building that muscle it doesn't have you're not reliant on supplies there's no materials that you have to purchase in order to have the Nashem. the second one is oh so one second that was the first now we're going to start even though we discussed the second one a little bit last time but we're going to i'm going to start off on the second one again this time and then we're going to continue on from there so right now we're on page 16 in our book and we are on the second paragraph um that where it's or the third paragraph i guess where it says the second manner second okay <clears throat> the second manner in which a person who has betachen is superior to an alchemist is anybody missing a book i have okay i knew somebody had asked me you guys can pass this down Yes, that, that one is for purchase. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll discuss it after. And also we're getting uh, new copies for next week. So yes, they did. Yes, so um, if you'd like to purchase it from us, we will have some next week. So keep that in mind. It is at a discount. At a discount rate, yes. Um, okay. The second manner which a person who has betachen is superior to an alchemist the alchemist needs to perform certain actions and procedures in order to produce the silver and gold and cannot reach his goals without them. Yay! <laughs> um, additionally, it is possible that the fumes and the smoke that he inhales will actually cause him to die as a result of his working consistently and spending lots of amounts of time, long amounts of time toiling with them day and night, right? So this alchemist thinks he's such a genius. He's making gold out of lead and he's cooking and cooking and cooking this thing. And according to alchemist it has to go through like different colors, first it's blue and then green and then orange and suddenly poof, comes out gold. And you know, he's stirring this thing and sniffing it up and sniffing it up. And nowadays we know how toxic many of these things can be. So, um, yeah, that could have been a big issue for people's health. Um, but nowadays, 
let's think about something that we can apply to. How can we see this same concept in our day-to-day -day life? There you go, spot on. Yes, many people actually stress out so much about their jobs or about their family situation, their parnasa, their shalom bias, whatever it is, their kids chinuch, they stress so much that they actually make themselves sick. There are literally um, jobs where the suicide rate is insane, like the toll people by the, um, when, you, when you pay tolls. Um, I actually am so nice to them because I know that they have such a high suicide rate. I'm like, hi, thank you so much for everything you do. And any human interaction is usually like people chucking money at them. Right. Exactly. And like, oh, it's like 10 cents. No, 10 cents more, 10 cents less, whatever. There's a few other jobs that are also have a very high rate of um, early burnout because it's such an intense job that they literally can't last that long. Like there's a, um, I know someone whose husband is a um, airplane controller. Yes, and they don't make it past 50. Like they have to, they basically get told to retire because it's such a high stress job that you literally, it takes a toll on your body. So sometimes our own work in making our gold that we're turning and turning and turning and turning could lead us to really make us sick. <clears throat> Meanwhile, conversely, a person who relies on Hashem is secure from any mishaps in the present and also feels secure that no bad will happen to him in the future. This is because he believes that anything that happens to him is from Hashem and will therefore be a cause of joy and happiness. His sustenance will come to him in a restful, calm, and peaceful manner. So it's very interesting how we're seeing it here. Anything that happens to him is from Hashem and will therefore be a cause of joy and happiness. Which means not necessarily everything that happens in your life will be exactly the cookie cutter picture that you painted. That said, when we have true betachin, we're able to see that in essence, this path, even if it veered from your path, is actually the best path. Whether we see it or we don't, as we discussed before, that like our, our experience is based on where we're holding. But the reality is, if this is what happened, it's because Hashem knew that this is the best thing that should happen for you. And sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it takes a next step of what are you going to do with that information? Like, how are you going to move forward? What's the next step? Like if through your plan off rail, so it's like, okay, how do we either get back on rail or how do we go continue from this point forward? Right. But at the end of the day, when something is in the past, it means that that's exactly how Hashem wanted it to be for you. And so therefore we can be happy. We can have joy and happiness. Um, in, and we can receive this in a restful, calm, and peaceful manner. Okay, let's read the footnote, the second little asterisk thingamababer on the bottom of page 16. It will be a cause of joy and happiness. Pas Lechem explains that it is natural and easily observable that bad befalls even people who have betachin, 
right? So we think, oh, wow, the greatest tzaddikah must have had the most incredibly easy, smooth, no bumps along the road ride, right? But we clearly see that bad also befalls people who have betachin. Nonetheless, because this person trusts that everything Hashem does is for the good, he is able to accept whatever comes his way joyfully. Furthermore, and perhaps a more advanced level of trust, okay, so this in of itself is step one. What happens to us, we can accept it joyfully. That said, there's a more quote-unquote advanced level of trust. The person who trusts in Hashem is constantly happy because he knows that a challenging situation merely seems like a difficult situation, but inherently it is good. So it feels hard. It looks hard. It might really even be very hard. But at the end of the day, if we went through it, it must mean that this is going to bring something good to us. It must be some pleasant something or some long-term beneficial something. There we go. Um, okay. The Talmud in Tainus relates a story of Rabbi Nachum, who always who always reacted to misfortune with unyielding optimism, saying that everything Hashem does is for the good, even when something did not have appeared to be good or even seemed bad. Rabbi Nachum would say, "This too is for the good." Gam zula taiva. To the extent that people soon began calling him Nachum Ish Gamzu, Ish meaning the man of. Nachum ish gamzu. Right? So think one first step of having this type of viewpoint is that we know we accept. That's the first step. We accept that whatever comes our way and we accept it joyfully. The second step is the Nachum ish gamzu perspective, which means this too is for the good. Um, Hashem does this for the good. Rabbi Nachum was once sent to lead a delegation of, to the Roman emperor on behalf of the Jewish people to try to persuade him to be kinder to the Jews. They even brought along a box filled with gold and diamonds as a gift for the emperor. On the way, they stopped at, a, at an inn. Seeing the great treasures, the innkeeper stole the contents of the box and swapped them with sand and soil. The following morning, the delegation continued their journey, not knowing that the innkeeper, not knowing of the innkeeper's actions. When they finally reached Rome and presented themselves to the Emperor, Rabbi Nachum handed him a box as a gift from the Jewish people. Imagine this: they walk in, and he's bringing this fancy box, and he presents it to the Emperor, and he goes, "This is our present from the Jewish people." The Emperor opens it up, and the box upon opening was found to contain nothing but sand and soil. The emperor, furiously thinking that the Jews were mocking him, sentenced the delegation to death. Rabbi Nachum was not dismayed and said, as usual, Gamzula Taiva. Elioa Navi then appeared in the guise of one of the emperor's advisors and said, Caesar, 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 whatever. The Jews would certainly not have mocked the emperor. Perhaps this was no ordinary sand and soil. I once heard that when Avram 
the first Jew, went to battle against the four kings, he threw at their enemies sand and soil, which Hashem then turned into arrows and deadly weapons. Perhaps this sand and soil are of the same kind. The emperor who had been warring, war, warring against a certain enemy ordered that, it's sa- that this sand and soil be tested at the front. Indeed, the Gemara continues, a miracle happened. The sand and soil turned into deadly weapons. Rabbi Nachum was not only exonerated, but heaped with reward and praise. At deeper glance into the story, the emperor already owned many precious gems. So such a gift might not have accomplished the intended goal. Only the sand, which looked like a disastrous twist of faith, was truly a precious and unique gift for him. Therefore, the man who trusts in Hashem believes that no matter how dire things appear, they are inherently good and truly the best way to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. Therefore, he is joyous. Okay? So not only, number one, we can accept struggles because we know that Hashem is, must have done it for the good. It must be that this is good for me in whatever shape or form. And somehow I'm going to grow from this. I'm going to give the world from this, something along those lines. But the second level of it is, is Rabbi Nachum Ishkamzu's perspective that he is so relaxed that he knows that it must be for the good. Even when things seem hard, even when things seem like a big struggle, and this is actually the best possible outcome. Whoa. Let's just like let that settle for a second. <laughs> Remember that time when we wrote down in the, a nice yellow napkin, something that, was, <laughs> that we were struggling with? And now think about it, that this is a gamzul type of moment. It must mean that we're going to grow from this. We're going to do our personal shlichas from this. We're going to help others with this. There's got to be something because in essence, this comes from the good. Okay. Okay. We're on page 17, continuing back into the... Into our list. Um, go for it. <laughs> so I was at Zion one time and I saw this. Um, there was seeing uh, Sima. And he was saying that Gamzul and Tayyip are talking about the same thing. They're actually two different concepts. They're similar, but they're different. Gamzul and Tayyip is like revealing the innate goodness within the thing. And we felt like it's trusting Hashem to give you. Hashem is the one that provides them. Yep. Beautiful. <laughs> yep, yep, that's right. Um, okay, so as we're saying, we have, we've done two different reasons why having tr- trust in Hashem, having the Tachan is better than the alchemist. Even if you could be a money forger and you could print out all the money in your life, like, the amount that you wouldn't even fathom such a number, you could print it all out, still having the Tachan and Hashem is better than having that ability. Okay, so this is reason number three. Oh, sorry, we're about to get to reason number three. Okay, page 17 on the top. 
Since his work is not limited to a job that involves particular actions and procedures, his livelihood is more secure than the alchemist. Additionally, he doesn't have to worry about the dangers inherent in the job as the alchemist does. As it says, he causes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Okay. The third manner in which a person who has betachen is superior to the alchemist, the alchemist is secretly, sorry, the alchemist is secretive towards others out of concern for himself. Due to this fear, he is unable to confide in others and receive the necessary advice in order to be successful. Okay, so let's read the piece in the bottom. Concern for himself. Alchemists were essentially currency counterfeiters, so they feared discovery by the ruler about their occupation. It is absolutely illegal. Yeah, it is printing money. <laughs> He also doesn't want other people to discover this secret, like his ways of doing it, because then they too will do it and then it will become valuable. Mm -hmm. so and it's interesting because they they actually would share notes among friends, but they would do it in such a hidden way that even friends wouldn't understand. Like they would make pictures and like write instructions, and then in the pictures they would say, like, let's say like it's a person so it's a gold or it's a person it's a or well, they wouldn't say gold because that's the end result but they would say words and hint at things but even within their own books each they would they wouldn't even know amongst themselves what everything meant so nowadays for example the historians have found these books and they found these manuscripts but like no one could figure out what was what was the essence of what they were trying to do? So they were hiding it so much that even within themselves, they wouldn't. Um, okay, page 18 on the top. Conversely, a person who trusts in Hashem is not afraid of telling anyone about his trust. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, don't tell. <laughs> <laughs> like my secret success, my people, like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're gonna steal my that's, that's, that's not because that means that you don't believe. Very good. That's right. Yeah, that would be kind of weird. On the contrary, he boasts about it. As David Amelech said, "I trust in. I trusted in Hashem. I will not fear. What can man do to me?" The okay, so that in of itself is number three. Number three is we are not afraid of showing and sharing our betachen with the world. There is nothing to be lost by us saying, Hi, my name is Michal, and I have betachen in Hashem, and I am perfectly calm about the fact that this and this and this is happening in my life. Oh my gosh, we should do that! <laughs> we should do that. Okay, the fourth manner, so now number four in which a person who has betachen is superior to the alchemist, the alchemist must either prepare an abundance of gold and silver for a time when he will need it, or prepare just the right amount for the interim. So he can't just imagine walking around with a ginormous amount of counterfeit bills. Like that is dangerous. Not only that, but if you have a printer and you have all the materials and you have the ink and you have the special whatever to print this money you have to schlep that stuff around 
like you can't go anywhere. You are not liquid. You are very solid and stuck exactly where you are. And then what if you're fearing that you'll get caught? Then what? What can you do? So the other option is to print a ton of it. And then you're schlepping around all this counterfeit money. And what if somebody walks by and sees your uh, nice little backpack full? Like it's so terrifying on both ends. Both sides of the coin are not helpful. Either way, the alchemist is constantly in a state of anxiety. If he prepares a lot, he will constantly be afraid that he will somehow lose the silver or gold that has already been, been produced. He will not be able to feel calm or relaxed due to the fear of the king who might take it away from him and due to fear of the people who might steal it from him, right? So he's nervous that he's going to get caught and he's nervous that someone's going to come steal all his money. If, on the other hand, he only prepares enough gold and silver to last for a short amount of time, a situation might arise whereby he will not be able to produce more silver and gold due to the lack of necessary materials at a time when he will be in great need of them, right? So imagine he says, okay, I'm only going to do a little bit. In about a month, I'll do some more. I'll get myself a month's salary. And then after the month, I'll do some more. But the problem is, what if in a month, the, all the stores, the counterfeit money are us, um, <laughs> suddenly they run out of the ink and they run out of the paper and they run out of the, so then what? What is he going to do? Um, which, by the way, how do we translate this into our day-to-day -day life? Because we're not, I hope, none of us here are counterfeiting money. So I hope this is not truly relevant to anybody. Um, don't try this at home, ladies and gentlemen, you know. But a good way to see this in our lives, why does he have so much anxiety? He has anxiety because of the what if. Let's just do, for funsies, let's do a round of raise your hand if you have something in your life right now that you're worried about the what if. What if it goes wrong? What if it goes right? What if it's too good? What if it's too fast? What if it's too little? What if it's... What if is this constant worry and anxiety? What if I'm not going to have enough money? What if I'm going to have too much? And then I'm not going to, I don't know, I, I'm going to have to pay a ton of money in taxes. Like literally the what if is what makes us have so much anxiety. Whereas right now we are not facing any of those what ifs. When it becomes a real reality, then it's no longer a what if. It's a, oh gosh, this is what happened. Now what? Right? So this mentality is a what if mentality. So let's see, let's see now what happens with a person that has betaching. In both of these above scenarios, the alchemist is worried that he might be left penniless. Either he is afraid that whatever silver or gold he has, he has amassed will be seized or stolen from him, or he is afraid that he will be potentially left without nothing as a result of inability to produce more. Now, the author contrasts this with a person who relies on Hashem. However, a person who trusts in Hashem strongly, whose trust in a, who trusts Hashem strongly, trusts that Hashem will sustain him as he wishes, at the time that he wishes and in the place that he wishes. Just as he sustains a fetus in his mother's womb and a chick inside an egg, neither of which is an opening through which food can enter to sustain it, Hashem provides each with sustenance, even though there seems to be no natural source. 
Similarly, Hashem provides sustenance for the bird in the air and the fish in the water, both of which lack readily accessible food. And he provides for the ant and the worm despite their frailty. Frail, frail, frailty. Okay, so let's just go back for a second. A person who trusts in Hashem strongly trusts that Hashem will sustain him as he wishes. He meaning, he with a capital H. He meaning Hashem, as Hashem wishes. At the time that Hashem wishes. If now is not the time, then whenever the time is. Or if too early is the time, then that's exactly how Hashem wanted it to be. And the place that he wishes. Sometimes we think, oh my goodness, this job didn't work out. Or this venue of opportunity even if it's not a job let's say we're trying to accomplish something we're trying to call a doctor to get an appointment and this doctor said no or this insurance said no or whatever it is that we're planning this particular place that we're going to try doesn't work that means because it's not the right place that Hashem wants it to come from it means keep trying because some other place is going to help you some it's gonna come from somewhere because Hashem is taking care of you, and you just need to not worry about the what ifs. Make sense? Okay, we are on. Okay, perfect. We're on contrasts on page 19. Perfect. Contrast this with the fact that sometimes even the lion, which is funny because how many. Let's see how many who who let's see how many people remember how many times we've heard this pasuk. Okay. In contrast, this the fact that sometimes even the lion, despite its its strength, lacks sustenance, as it is written, young lions suffer want and are hungry, but those who seek the Lord will do not lack any good. Does anyone remember? What? Yes, okay. But where in how many times in this safer has he said it? Do you guys remember? So far? Yes, so far. Okay, I'll give it for homework. Next week, come and tell me how many times this, does this puzzle get um, repeated in the safer? Okay? You'll see a, that's a beautiful. Okay. The next puzzle. And as it says, the Lord will not starve the soul of the righteous, as it says. Number three, the next pasuk. I was young, I also age, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken and his children seeking bread. So now let's look down on this little asterisk. Um, as it says, I was young. The author quotes the second pasuk to prove that only, not only does Hashem take care of the person who was betachin, as we see in the first pasuk, but he also cares of his children as well. So, you know, the Shabbos Mavarchim situation where we say it, but it's for our children and our grandchildren. It's really sweet because I actually, I pointed out to my son that his Saba says Shabbos Mavarchim to Hillam and it's giving him brachas. And he just like blew his mind how it's like double generational and like, it was very, very cute. So here, your betachin, literally affects your children it affects your children whether it's current children or future children your betachen brings brachas to them as well okay these three psukim 
speak about how a person who trusts in Hashem is taken care of and therefore has no reason to be fearful. Because just a reminder that the alchemist is an outlaw. It's a criminal. He is a money laundering, illegal person. Okay, so just a reminder before we read number five. Number five, the fifth manner in which a person has betachin is superior to the alchemist. The alchemist is in constant state of fear and dread due to his occupation. He is afraid of all people from the most important man in the nation, the king, down to the least important. However, the person who trusts in Hashem will be held in awe by even the great and respectable people. Even the animals and stones will seek to do his will and will cause him no harm. As it says in the, yeah, in Tehillim of he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High from the beginning of Tehillim until the end. And as it says, um, in six troubles, he will save you. And in the seventh, no harm will touch you. In famine, he'll redeem you from death. And as it continues until the end of the chapter. Okay, let's take a little moment. Let's do a little story time. One of my favorite stories, or one of my kids' favorite stories, is the story of Rav Masod Alfasi. It's a good one. I, you know stories. Um, so he was an incredible Haliga man, and he lived in Morocco many, many years ago, and he wanted to move to Eretz Yisrael. And if you guys remember some maps, to get from Morocco to Eretz Yisrael is not the simplest walk, especially back then. There was no trains, no cars, no uh, airplanes, none of that stuff. You had to literally trek the thing by foot or with a camel or with um, basically a camel because you have to go through the desert. So not only was it desert, not only was it scary, not only were you crossing a lot of borders that were pretty darn dangerous, but there were a lot of robbers that could um, stop you and then have some fun time with you. So he decided he's going to go with a group and the group traveling together would protect, everybody would protect each other. So he traveled for six days straight. He took kosher food with him and all of his supplies and everything. And he traveled and he traveled and he traveled until it came the time that it was Erev Shabbos. And he decided there is no way I'm traveling on Shabbos. So he looked at his uh, group and he said, I am actually going to stop here. And they said, you are crazy. You're in the middle of the desert. There's dangerous animals. What's going to be with you? How are you going to even find your way back? Like, so he said, nope, I have to keep Shabbos. This is the most important and um, that has to be done. So he stopped, he took a stick, he threw a circle around him and he said, that's it, here's Shabbos. He lights his candles, he starts to prepare for Shabbos or sing Yamairav uh, and suddenly he hears roaring, like a lion roaring. And it's getting closer and it's getting closer until the point where the lion literally run right at, r runs right at him. And suddenly the lion stops at the line that he drew the circle and he stays there and just stares at him. 
And Rav Masud, he decided, I'm going to um, keep Shabbos because this is what I'm here for. And he eats his meal and the lion stares. And then he goes to sleep and the lion's just there. And suddenly by the next morning, he realized that the lion actually kept him safe. The lion protected him. Then he, uh, Shacharis, with a lot of kavana, what is he going to do? He's in the middle of the desert, no distracting, uh, <laughs> no distractions over yonder. And he sees that the lion is literally just there protecting him and nothing else is coming near him. Eats his meals, sings mirrors, enjoys the rest of Shabbos. Matzei Shabbos, he makes Havdalah. I'm sorry? Oh yeah, they left him. They thought he was dead. Like he's just, that's it. So they leave and yeah. So basically Matzei Shabbos, he makes Havdalah. He says, how can I possibly be in such a rush? I have to eat Malava Malka. Like, what do you mean? So he sits down, he washes, eats Malava Malka. The next morning he wakes up and suddenly the lion walks over to him and he bows down as if to motion climb on top. Rav Mas'ud climbed on top of the lion and the lion gave him a ride back to his group. So we know the story. And many times it's told in the, with this idea that if you keep Shabbos, Shabbos keeps you, right? If you protect the Shabbos, then the Shabbos is going to protect you. And we hear that very often. But I think for our class, we can also learn. Can you imagine the betachan he had to have in order to handle such a moment? Like, he was literally in the middle of the desert by himself with a roaring lion. And he was able to trust that Hashem would protect him and that everything's going to be okay. Now that is huge. And I feel that we can learn and, and process that story and say, how, how can I live with this story in my life? What is something that I feel is the lion that's coming to get me? And I could be running around like a headless chicken petrified, or I could be doing things that maybe aren't so kosher or aren't so, um, it's not the most, not the greatest idea to do because I'm so scared of this quote unquote lion. But in reality, if we protect the Shabbos, if we have betachen and Hashem and we do what's right, because this is the right thing to do. So therefore, in the end, at some way, shape or form, it, we're going to come out stronger. And he did. He went on the lion and lion caught him up to the group. He joined the group and they traveled all the way to Eretz So I felt like that was the story that fit what we're trying to say. How much more so here we're saying even the animals and stones will seek to do his will. Right? Oh, and stones. Wow. Yes. Just like yeah. the I was about to say that. Yes. That is correct. You don't often hear that. It's a nice story. But I'll keep going. Like a typical story. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have animals. <laughs> Because mm -hmm. I don't think that even the stones will adhere to, adhere to us. Yes, 
we just don't always feel it but yeah 100 percent Right, right. That's correct. Okay, back to page 20. We're in the non-bolded section. These psukim in Yev also describe how Hashem saves a man from all sorts of troubles. They are quoted as further proof that even the animals and inanimate objects will not harm a person who has betachin. Okay? Now, number six. The sixth manner in which a person who has betachen is superior to the alchemist. The alchemist is not protected from sickness and disease, which disturb his contentment with his wealth and prevent him from deriving benefit from his possessions. Similarly, they stop the alchemist from enjoying the wealth that he was, has amassed as a result of his toil. Conversely, a person who trusts in Hashem is protected from this. this disease and sickness, except for disease and sickness that he is subject to as a means of atonement or to increase his reward in the next world. As it is written, new, now youth shall become tired and weary and young men shall stumble. In the following pasuk, it says, but these, those who put their hope in the Lord shall renew their vigor, meaning they should get strong again. And as it says in the pasuk, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. Okay. Oh, actually, let me read that last piece, and then we're going to go back and analyze this. These psukim are quoted as proof that while even young and strong people may become weak from illness and the like, the righteous and those who rely on Hashem remain strong. Okay, so one second. We have a moment to process this. So I'm surprised no one interrupted and said, what do you mean? So they can also get sick or good people that have betachen also get sick, right? Okay, so now all in one. One, two, three. What do you mean? No, I'm um, but really, it's a very valid question. You absolutely have a good question, all of you. Um, and it's going to get answered in the little asterisk at the bottom. Okay. So we're saying the one that starts with atonement, the second asterisk on the left of page 20. Atonement. The calamity has befallen him to atone for a sin that he transgressed and the suffering is cleansing his body so that when he passes away, his soul will leave this world in the same pure state as when it entered. By being punished physically in this world, he will not need to be punished for the sin in the world to come because mild suffering in, the in this world saves a person from severe punishment in the world to come. This is from Tanya and from our Rebbe's commentary to the lessons in Tanya. Okay? It's a hard thing to say in your own words because it's a hard thing to say, period. But what we're saying here is that it's possible that a person that has betachin and is going through pain or sickness or ill of some sort, it could be out of some cleansing process of something that was done and that when it's cleansed in this world, a level of discomfort in this world achieves a lot more than the painful discomfort in the world to come. It was a lot of time like that. 
Correct. Yes, correct. Yes. Correct. I thank you for saying that. Yes, we are learning this only for ourselves. It is not our job to look at somebody else's illness and say that to them, judge them by them, hold them to that yardstick. Not at all. Okay. It is just for us, for ourselves. Now, the next part of it, which is the first one was, right? Because a person who trusts in Hashem is protected from disease, except for disease and sickness that he's, he's subject to as a means of atonement, which you just understood, right? Atonement means a mistake that was made and now they're suffering this world because it's much better to suffer in this world than in the world to come. Atonement. Now the next one is, or to increase his reward, his reward in the next world. Okay, let's read that asterisk. Increase his reward in the next world. Another reason for suffering, the author explains, is that physical pain in this world is exchanged for spiritual reward. The Talmud teaches that when Moshe was shown the death of Rabbi Akiva, whose skin was scraped with metal forks by the Romans, ouch. One second. Moshe asked Hashem, is this the reward of a of terror study? Just like let that hit for a second. Hashem replied, yes. Thank you. Yes. Even my Shurbanu had that question. Thank you for saying that. That's exactly right. Whew. Hashem re replied, This generally translates as silence. This is my will. However, it can also be understood in a mystical level through a more literal translation of the words silence because through this physical pain, he will be elevated to be connected and cleave with my supernal will. According to Marpela Nefesh, the increased reward the author speaks of refers to pain that is inflicted upon a person so as to increase his good fortune later on in life. This is a hard, I don't want to. Can you also like have to test that action and like make it stop? Do that. Yes. <laughs> like we can have, like, you don't have to have illness in this world in order to have a reward in the next world. Like Hashem is capable of, of giving us an <laughs> ill and poor free life yes. in this world and giving us reward in the next world. Correct. That's not the life. We don't live a life of self correct and not only that but the beauty of it is that this is the exception like if we go back to the regular text a person who trusts in hashem is protected from the disease and sickness that's the minimum that's the basis that's a baseline that's the that is the reality if we happen to see an exception then for ourselves, we can, in the back of our mind, we can appreciate these two perspectives. It's possible this is atonement and it's possible that this is for the greater reward. That makes sense? This is not the go-to, this is not the primary, this is like just the exception. Reduced, like, to prison, 
had been dropped off tomorrow. Yes. And he was able to just like. That is right. Not so much gamzu. There's actually There is a very interesting, um, I wish I would have known to prepare the story better. So I'll do my best. And if I mess up anything, next week, I will fix up the details. But um, after the Rebbe had the heart attack and he was being treated for in his room, a few doctors approached Rebbe Simchaimashka and basically said, you have the power to help us and, and yes and not only that but they were even considering like sedation and then taking yeah. him and um yes yes yeah so she actually said huh? what she was the only one i, I yeah okay she's the only one who could convince him correct um to go to the hospital so last time that I was told that they can hear everything. So, um, so, so in reality, ah, so anyway, so they came to Rabbi Sanchai Moshka and Rabbi Sanchai Moshka said, the Rebbe knows exactly what is happening in his body and he has full control over what's happening in his body. And so therefore, why would I go against his own will? Like so many people come to the Rebbe for exact guidance of how to best treat an illness. Why would I go against his own will? And at the end of the day, we learn from the story that the Rebbe had a choice. And for whatever reason, this heart attack and everything that happened since the stroke and whatever, the Rebbe was well aware of it. And that's what happened. So so again this is for ourselves the base bottom line is that a person who has betachin does not get sick does not have any issues if for whatever reason there's an exception that a person has betachin is sick and has issues so then they can rely they for themselves can rely on these two concepts that this might be for atonement or this might be for a greater reward um and with that let's finish off with a beautiful story another one of my favorites which, um, shout out to everyone who joined for the Perke Avashir or who donated Svarim for the Perke Avashir because this is actually from one of the most beautiful Svarim from Perke Avish. I mean, that's where I learned it and loved it, but it's actually from Gemara. Um, so there's a famous uh, rabbi who we all know, especially anyone who's ever been to the JCM, is called Rabbi Hanina Bendosa. And one of the most beautiful stories that I really enjoy is that at one point they were so, so poor that they, the, his wife literally had nothing to cook for Shabbos. 
And she was feeling really anxious about it because if she has nothing to cook, so therefore she's not going to turn on the fire. So therefore all her neighbors are going to know because they don't see fire coming out of the um, chimney. Oh yeah. Um, so they're going to know that she has nothing to cook. So she, what she do, she went and she gathered some twigs and she lit them on fire and she had something coming out of the chimney. So one of her neighbors was not a very nice woman and she always tried to hurt Mrs. Bendosa. Um, and she decided that she knew for a fact that they had no food and she must not be cooking anything. So she decided to go check and see. She walks over, knocks on the door and Mrs. Bendosa, <laughs> decides to hide in the in her room because she was so embarrassed that this neighbor is going to come and she's going to see that there's pushed nothing there so the neighbor snob and snoopy and whatever decides to open the door and waltz herself in anyway and hashem made such a nace in honor of the righteous mrs bendosa that the oven was filled with perfectly cooked collars and the no the the kneading bowl was filled with dough so um, Rabbi Hanina Bendosa, his wife, Mrs. Bendosa, comes out of her room and she sees, and she, Baruch Hashem, is such a righteous woman that she was not even surprised. She's like, oh, the Abisha just made an ace. <laughs> and she continues on. And the neighbor's like, Mrs. Bendosa, take your chalas. They're about to, they're about to burn. It says that in the, in the Gemara. Take your chalas out. They're about to burn. So she comes and she didn't even own a challah scooping tool but she walks back into her room comes out with a magical challah scooping thing and she pulls out the challah and it's perfectly beautiful it smells delicious and it's just wonderful so this scenario happened best challah godly challah <laughs> this scenario happens and after that he tells her she tells her husband and says my darling you're a hey tzaddik can you please, please, Davin, that I shouldn't go through this Agmas Nefesh? Like, we shouldn't have to have challah because it's a miracle, because I'm embarrassed. So her husband, incredibly pious man, goes and he listens to his wife. Step number one in incredibly pious. <laughs> um, and he listens to his wife, and he Davins, and he Davins, and he Davins. And suddenly out comes a beautifully shaped golden leg of a table suddenly poof it appears and she um she's so grateful it's hush of gold it's literally like now they're rich they can make it for the rest of their lives it's so beautiful and incredible and so she enjoys it she takes it and she holds on to it she goes tomorrow i'm gonna you know use it for good she goes to sleep in her sleep, she dreams that all the tzaddikim, each of them, is sitting by a table in Shemaim, in Gan Eden, and each of them has a table with three golden legs. And meanwhile, her and her husband are sitting by a fairly wobbly table with two golden legs. And that's when she realized her prayer brought down, I mean, her husband's incredible prayer brought down one of the golden legs 
from their reward in Ganeiden. And then she goes, okay, okay, I'm sorry, please send it back. <laughs> and her husband Davins, that it should be returned. And suddenly, and it actually says in Gemara, my husband and I were learning it today because I was like, I want to learn it in the. Yes, yes. Um, it actually says in Gemara that the biggest miracle wasn't that it appeared. The biggest miracle is that it was taken back because anything that comes from Ganadin doesn't come. It, there's no uh, return policy. Um, yes, exactly. So it's a final sale. So that is the biggest miracle. So sometimes we feel that we want the reward here. I'm not saying don't daven for Parnassa. Absolutely daven for Parnassa. Our, our, uh, exactly. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate that. But anyway, the point is, you should daven for everything that should be good, and everything should be revealed good. We should daven to be reunited with our loved ones. We should daven for Mashiach. We should daven that it should all be clear and good. Whoever's looking for a zivog should have a zivog, and whoever's um, needs shalom bayis, have shalom bayis. Whoever needs relate help with relationship with anybody in family, friends, anybody, it should all go smooth and wonderful. We should all be healthy and strong. And we should, for ourselves, have betachen, that it should all be good. And I'll see you guys next week. Be'ezras Hashem. Thank you. My pleasure. What? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I want to, just because may, there, it's possible not everybody was here in the beginning, I want to mention that today's share is Lele Nishmas, Rivka, Bas Avram, and everyone should be reunited with their loved ones right now. And we should all have comfort and Mashiach right now. Um, okay, let me pause that for a second.